Yep. All right, man. So the the color is just not where. Now, obviously, that's on TV, but it looks all right there. So it's probably good. Yeah, I got you. Jonathan Kyle. That's me. How you doing, man? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm all right. You can always hold it like here if you want, just like about a fifth distance away. Yeah. That's what we're looking. You don't have to look at the camera. There's no eyes to look into. I like making eye contact with viewers. <laughs> so, oh man, where do we start? I know where to start because it's where we always start. Tell me about you and how you got into music and what life has been like until you moved to Nashville. Until you mm -hmm. moved to Nashville, what's the what's the prep work for you to get into music? Right, so I started prepping to get into music, I guess you could say when I was around four years old, uh, was the first time I got interested in, in singing, I told my dad I was interested in singing, uh, I started doing, he was really involved with the Chamber of Commerce, we had a really big Chamber of Commerce where I'm from out in St. Joseph, Missouri, it's actually like, so the town's 80,000 people, not a big town, but it's got one of the second largest Chamber of Commerce, like one of those second tier largest chamber of commerces in the country. What is that from? Um, uh, vacationers or like why are you so big? Um, no, so the cha it's just uh, they're really involved in the local community. I guess it's it's kind of like a culture out there where you where you just what you're, they, you get what's involved the chamber in chamber of commerce. Do uh, a chamber of commerce. So that's like it's like a meeting of the minds for small business owners and uh -oh. and and small uh, local businesses and that kind of stuff. Oh, that's uh, pretty awesome. The workers that meet that we've got, there's one pretty much everywhere. It's just yeah. they don't do as much. But like, if you've ever gone somewhere for an opening ribbon ribbon cutting or something for the opening of that, usually the chamber of commerce is what puts that on for local shops. They kind of put it together for them. That's pretty cool. Um, so my dad was really involved with that because everyone is where I come from, and uh, they started letting me sing uh, stuff like the national anthem or God Bless the USA at some of their their events and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, when I was four. Cause I guess because it was cute or something, I didn't sound very good. But <laughs> um, uh, I I loved it. Uh, shortly after that, I saw a a violin on Sesame Street episode, and uh, so I'm told. I don't really remember much of this, obviously, being that yeah. young. But this is the stories I've been told, and I, I I told my parents I really wanted a violin, and they got me into that, and it, it led to a couple of years down the road, probably about five or six years old uh we me and my little brother started performing out at various events around town <laughs> and and stuff like that and it kind of kind of took off for us we we wound up jumping out of school becoming homeschooled so that we could travel around the country and and do performances now they weren't like large performances like the thousands and thousands of people obviously yeah. But we would, you know, we'd drive out to Colorado and perform for 150 people. And, Man, and, what would and you guys be doing? Uh, it was like a cover variety show type thing. Um, have you ever been to Branson, Missouri? No. The area called Branson, Missouri, which is like, I guess you could call it the music capital of Missouri. <laughs> 
But Don't it's, they say there's something that Francis says like that's where rock and roll started or something? Something like that. I don't remember exactly what all the sayings were. Yeah. But uh, essentially they've got like a strip with a bunch of shows and stuff on it. Oh, okay. And it's it's a lot of tourists like older people tour that tour to there a lot and go visit all these cover shows. And, and kind of almost gimmicky kind of shows. Not I don't want to say gimmicky because there's a lot of people that put a lot of hard work into them. It's not quite the right word. You but can put hard work into gimmicks. Yeah. Uh, but like there's like the Dixieland Stampedes out. There's a Dixieland Stampede out there. And and, and shows like that uh, where it's like variety cover stuff. Good musicians doing variety cover stuff but in a big production style. Like a stage production style. Uh, so it's pretty cool. What would you play and what would your brother play? Uh, I played violin and sang, and my brother would play piano and sing. Oh. And so we would play, like, uh, Alabama. If you're going to play in Texas, you got to have a fiddle in the band, play me some mountain music, that kind of stuff. And then we'd even do, there's videos of this on YouTube. If you guys want to see it and, and make me blush and, and laugh at myself, uh, there's videos up of the J-Boys for you. That's what we call it. Jonathan Jackson, we were the J-Boys, we were a little performing with a Z. And uh, and we would do stuff like unwritten pop oh. stuff, oh. where it was like we do like choreographed in sync style dance stuff to it. Oh, that's cool. Or kids do it like kid bop version, you know. You ever seen it before? Yeah. Come on, buddy. Yeah, it's you. Come on. Oh, boy. So you guys would when you said unwritten, I thought you were talking about the the song unwritten. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, oh, you've uh, written like that, like pop stuff like that. Oh, okay. Where, where we do like synchronized in sync style dancing with it. Oh, and, that's awesome. And then we play our own instruments for other stuff. Like we do that with a track. Oh, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And then we play it. And so it, it wound up like we were doing uh, at like the peak of that. We were doing probably know, three or four shows a month. Uh, it's actually, and so my parents are much wiser than I probably would have been with my money <laughs> that we earned from that. It's actually how I paid for my college. So that all went oh, that's super into smart. my college fund and all that kind of stuff. So that, that gave me the opportunity to come out here and, and do what I'm doing now because I didn't have to pay for college out of pocket and all that kind of stuff. I already did it performing growing up and all that. True. I mean, that's pretty awesome. So did you, got, did you ever get into writing your own? Before you get to college or anything? I, I did a little bit. I actually, so I had a vocal teacher that started teaching me how to songwrite because I was not good at it naturally at all. Um, yeah. had no natural gift for it, really. But uh, who's naturally a good songwriter? Uh, my friend Brian. I mean, there's, <laughs> I mean, I, my, they have more. My best friend is so stupid good at songwriting really? without trying. <laughs> he irritates the crap out of me. But, uh, but no, he, uh, but I, I wasn't a very naturally good songwriter, and uh, she was. She wrote all, tried to write contemporary Christian music, is what she wrote. So that's what I first started learning to Sorry, do. Let me see what you got, buddy. What is that? What's this grass? Something. It looks like a painted piece of grass. Yeah. I know. I'm ruining all your fun. I'm sorry, Gibson. He's a. He's just being a puppy right now. <laughs> yeah. He was a little... This is what the people come to see. Gibson. Your puppy. Everybody come to see you, Gib. Because I kind of... Yeah, I saw me. You know. Where are we? Oh, yeah. But she's, she uh, had this vocal teacher that started... I wanted, expressed I wanted to learn how to songwrite a little bit. And yeah. she had done some songwriting out here. And she 
was originally from Nashville, or well, not originally, but lived in Nashville. Oh, and tried okay. to do music in Nashville, and eventually moved back and started her own music company now, uh, music teaching company. Back in uh, uh, Missouri. Missouri. And so uh, she started teaching me how to songwrite, and she's really big on. Uh, there's something in Nashville called the Immersed Christian Music Conference. Okay. And so that was my first trip to Nashville was to come to that music conference and compete in the songwriting competition. Um, and it was really fun. I was 16 at the time, uh, and I I got I didn't do super well in the competition, but I did well enough uh, to get looked at by uh, Trevecca Nazarene University has a National Praise and Worship Institute that's like a two year degree to be, learn to become a praise and worship leader, which wasn't really what I wanted to do. But uh, it was cool to be recruited, and it kind of got me interested in looking at going to college out here initially. So when I set up my visit with them, I also set up a visit with Belmont and MTSU. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, And so I wound up coming out visiting all of them. Uh, I really loved Belmont. I didn't save up that much money through performing as a kid. Uh, yeah, you would have done more than three or four shows a month. I'd still be paying off student loans for yeah. sure. And I wasn't interested in that. I've never been a real big get myself in debt guy. I like to pay with stuff for the money I have. And so uh, I, I wound up going to MTSU because I like the degree in facilities as well. And uh, I'm sorry, he never scratches at the door. Gibbs, you need to go out. Outside a little bit. He seems he likes it. He's a cold dog. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, no problem. We, we I usually do it in the uh, in the room we wrote in the last time, but you know sometimes he's just sometimes we're just feeling feeling it out here. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I'm sorry. And so what were we talking about? You end up going to MTSU. Ended up going to MTSU and. Uh, which is down in Murfreesboro. Yes, it is. Yeah. So I'm a little bit stuck out there now. I wish I were a little bit closer, but uh, oh, it set me up nicely because uh, a portion of that money that I would have been paying for room and board, I was actually able to buy, put my first semester where I would have had to pay for room and board down on a house for half of it, and my parents to help me out oh, put dude. down the other half down on a house. That's killer. And so like wow. obviously best parents in the world, right? They they, they are willing to support me and, and essentially gift me that half of the down yeah, payment so that killer. I could go ahead and buy a house. And what that did for us in the long run was I was able to get surf or uh, my license changed and everything out here and switch the tuition at MTSU from out of state to in state tuition. Oh, that's so much better. And it was so much better. Wow. And wound up saving us a lot of money in the long run. And so now I've got the house down there that I, I've set up. I've got a three-bedroom house since it was bought in 2015. Cost me 750 a month. <laughs> so it's 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 That's nice awesome. to have, and it's going to yeah. be a great thing going forward. Whether oh, I, yeah. I'm trying to decide whether I want to keep it as you know like a rental property, or if I want to sell it and move into a bigger house eventually down here or up closer to Nashville. But yeah. uh, it gives me options. You know, it was it was a True. really smart thing for my parents to have me do. Yeah. Uh, a lot of trust in there too. Yeah. For for them to trust you. So it's awesome. I had I was such a good kid in high school and everything <laughs> to earn that trust and then unfortunately, you know, I came out here to college and of course screwed it up like a good freshman in college would. But <laughs> how how did you screw it up? Um well I started uh drinking a little bit and, and partying a little bit. I've been like through that point in high school, like without 
really overly getting into my schoolwork. I was like ranked third in my class. Yeah. Had a good ACT score to get me out here. <clears throat> and then uh, I was obviously, I was doing a lot of athletics back then. I wrestled in college in PSU. Yeah. Don't want to be in my main right. spot. But I, uh, in high school, I was a three-sport athlete, and then in the morning, or three-season athlete, so I always had after-school practices, and I was really into soccer. I had club soccer after my school oh, practices, and then I had, in the morning before school, we'd have show choir practice, which I enjoyed, you know, always being a performer and everything, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I, I was, and the soccer practices were in Kansas City, which is about 45 minutes away, so oh, you're, club. Yeah, my club soccer. So I would leave for my school sport at like 5.30, get down there for practice would start between like 6.30 and 7, and then practice until 8.30 or whatever it is, head back. So I didn't have a lot of spare time to get myself in trouble is the point I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so I got out here, had a little bit more spare time on my hands, especially once I got uh, hurt wrestling. I didn't have that anymore on my plate. What was your injury? I dislocated my shoulder. Yeah. Uh, really, really badly. <laughs> yeah. uh, I wound up having to have surgery, tore like half my labrum out, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so, like, it was actually like sitting right in my tricep. My shoulder was wow. uh, really freak injury too on my own move. Oh, really? That kind of stuff. Yeah, I was. I was trying to hit the guy at a move. I reached back and grabbed his leg like that, and it just fell out for oh, some reason. Uh, but that it it was. Five months before I could get in for surgery or something like that. Four or five months before I could get in for surgery, going through the process, making sure you needed surgery. And I was in a sling that whole time. So I couldn't play music or, or do anything because I'm locked in a sling. Yeah. And then uh, after that, it was the surgery. And that had about eight to nine months before I could do like normal athletic stuff again. Uh, I could do, I could obviously get. It was only a month or so before I could start doing normal stuff with my arm, like around the house stuff, and I, start playing music. I but. feel like that's such a long time to wait for surgery on that. Uh, well, I mean, I had to get into the doctor and have them look, because I had them put it back in place. Mm-hmm. It was in place, so it wasn't like a rush thing. It wasn't life-threatening or anything. Okay. It was yeah. just the, the <clears> tendons <throat> and everything weren't right in my shoulder, so I could I didn't have like mobility above my head. Yeah. And it was best to just keep it in the sling to do it. But I could technically like do stuff with it pre-surgery. Because actually the hardest part was post-surgery when you're like, I, I couldn't do anything right. with it. It was awful. <laughs> My dad just had his shoulder replaced. And watching him, I mean, he was stubborn. But correctively so, because they were like, we want you to do X amount of work for PT. And he's like, <clears throat> he's like, I can do all that shit on my own. So, like, you know, he would, he was putting up roofs and shit. Like, yeah. the neck, like in like two or three weeks, he was holding shit over head, and you're like, just, but that hurt I've him, still, so I've still had, had issues like over my head, like overhead squats. Yeah. yeah. Anything that goes like behind my ears, range of motion while bearing weight above my head, and it just goes like, feels like a, uh, like you hit your funny bone, but in your shoulder. <laughs> Oh, it's like and it like goes numb and and won't let me won't let me like wow. bear the load behind. It's just like a really specific range yeah. of motion, but like behind your ears, over your head. They were trying and like uh, roll that those muscles out. So like in your in your traps, because probably mm-hmm. your traps and your lats and like really bared all the all the weight. <clears throat> like they got a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Like trying to compensate for your shoulder, and then 
And then once you get past here, it's like these are probably jacked up because yeah. now your shoulder's actually being worked. I could, it could yeah. be. I think it's more likely like a nerve thing. <laughs> yeah. Just the way it feels. but So it doesn't feel like too heavy or anything. It no, just it just feels... like gives and my oh, arm yeah, feels yeah. all ting tingly. Yeah. Um, but it's good. I, I did used to not be able to hang through like a lot of working at it and stuff. Yeah, uh, I've been able to do that and start doing like tough mutters with my mom likes to do one tough mutter or Spartan run a year. Yeah, if you guys don't know what those are, those are like uh, like obstacle course run, like yeah. Ninja Warrior, uh, yeah. American Ninja Warrior type stuff, but in a five k form. So you got a few obstacles along the way. There was a there was a there's a tough mutter and then there's something else. Um, Spartan races. Spartan races. Yeah, I've done one of each. Yeah, have you done this? Oh man. What is the long Spartan one? The half marathon? Do they have a half marathon? It might be like Spartan half or Spartan. We did a 10K. <laughs> and I was telling, even when I played soccer, I was like, I have never run more than 5K. There's no reason for any human being to run more than three miles ever. <laughs> I hate long distance running. But I, uh, I uh, but, but my brother, for his birthday last, last year or the year before. Yeah. It was like I want to do the long one with all the obstacles and everything, and so like this this kid warrior, like Spartan warrior or something like that. Yeah, I can't think. Of the name. I can't remember if the one we did was the longest one or the second longest one. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. But we did a ten k one. Was it ten k or ten mile? I don't remember. Yeah. Ten something one. Too many one. And my little brother tricked us into doing it by he was like, "I want to do it for my birthday," and then he was like, "I got stressed out with school. I'm not coming." No way. And so we all wound up doing the long one without him. What was this? Uh, this was last year or the year before. Oh, man. Where did he go to school? Uh, he, he was going to school at Missouri S&T for engineering. He, uh, he dropped out and moved to Alabama. Damn. Yeah. So he's, he's, uh, he's doing some different stuff now. He's uh, <laughs> I don't know if he's chicken out on the race or what, but yeah, he's uh, decided that engineering stuff was... At least not what he wanted to do right now. So he's trying some different stuff. It's tough in, in the world now. You know, <clears throat> I'm not, I didn't coin it, but I really do push it. Uh, the, you ever hear the, the enlightenment, like period of, uh, like, you know, American history? Yeah. That I think we're going through another one of those. You think? It's, yeah. Yeah. It just feels like, it. it just feels like more, uh, which causes a lot of people to take a look, a deeper look into what they're doing and why they're doing it. So right. a lot of people are going to school and then realizing, like, oh, I really want to do this right now. And then they end up changing. It was kind of a crazy thing for me because I was going to get a really stable job. That was my goal through most of high school was to do something like where I could be a doctor or something like that where it was it was stable. And I, I, I'd kind of been out of music for a couple of years, like my freshman, sophomore year of high school, outside of choir stuff. Yeah. Um, then I started picking up again. I, I One of the things that kind of pushed me towards it and got my love back for music was I'd kind of not stopped practicing my violin and fiddle stuff. And I brought it to school one day. We were having like a festival outside. Some people wanted to hear me play like Orange Blossom Special, Devil and Out of Georgia. Yeah. That kind of stuff. And... There was, there was a person who came up to me who was like a snooty orchestra person, and I assume pretty good one of those supposed to get like the first chair the next year, like their senior year. Yeah. Uh, 
had but had just started playing like middle school and stuff. So I'd been playing since I was four. Like no contest there. And oh. came up to me and started telling me about how fiddle music wasn't wasn't real wasn't real violin, you know. Well, is there a difference? Is there a true difference in the in the not the style? Because obviously, stylistically, it's different. But like, you can have <laughs> violins that lean more towards the f- playing fiddle music and violins that lean towards more towards playing classical music, but they are the same instrument. Yeah. Okay. You just play a different style on them. You can have little structural differences in designs and stuff, but you can play either on either. Yeah. Um, and so it really pissed me off. And so I went to the, the my counselor. The comment that you made. Yeah, because I've been playing classical music since before he picked up a violin. And I I went to my counselor and I was like, I need to switch into orchestra my for my senior year. Oh, really? Took the first chair spot. Oh my god. Because <laughs> so, it got to be a little petty sometimes. So can you still play? Oh yeah. Pretty well. Yeah yeah. I've been actually practicing. I I never really wrote my own fiddle riffs and stuff like that yeah. so i've been playing with like learning how to do that a little bit more as of late because I like, I've, I've been missing it lately and i've been playing along with like do you know who troubadour blue is no uh they're a lo- local band out here <clears throat> uh a brother and a sister and a and another guy that writes some cool songs and stuff you should look up some of your their stuff you'd love it troubadour blue. But, but the sister plays violin in that fiddle stuff and makes some really good fiddle riffs. so i've been playing along and learning some of the stuff with that just by ear do you um do you ever want to get into like a, a studio and record fiddle i've done some of it where I like mostly like sampling where i sample different riffs and stuff for people to use or oh, or, really cool. or sounds on the violin for them mm-hmm. to use to have some string sounds um but i've never really gotten into being a studio musician i don't know if i'm playing enough i'm a better live musician than a studio musician i can play something clean enough on stage and be entertaining with it but it, when I get in the studio, I, the perfectionist that I am, it, it feels like I'm not doing it good enough. Well, and that might just be a confidence thing, but yeah, you know, I think it. I think you'd be fine. And there's, <laughs> there, I think it feels like there's a a push coming back for like having some fiddle and stuff. Like, but like so. that's another saying, thing is like when I first got out here, nobody was using fiddle stuff at all. Yeah, almost. yeah, that's true. Like um, Ian Munsick and Cody Johnson, those guys kind of made it famous again. Yeah, and that Texas Texas music coming back around, mm-hmm. the little music industry they got going on down there. So yeah, so <laughs> you know you could be just ahead of the curve and be like, I'll record. It could be good, man. Right, I've been I've been telling people I play more lately just because I've been now that I'm practicing. I, like I said, I kind of put it down for a little bit to learn yeah. to learn guitar and stuff like that, so I can play. And you can't play with yourself on violin while you sing. It's a yeah, your mouth true. moves the violin you, and it doesn't work. Do you? So you moved down. Uh, did you graduate with any degree? Yeah, I graduated with a music business degree, uh, and so that's where I I'd, I'd gotten some opportunities to do some stuff. And my main goal was to be a creative publishing exec at some point, but uh, but to work in creative publishing. What was is that? that still your goal? Yeah, it is. So that's that's my that's my main focus. What I do, I love. I love playing music and everything, but I really love uh, for a job the stability one that that brings a little bit more, where I'm not having to travel around away from my wife and all that kind of stuff. True. Uh, quite as much, and and two, it's just it's really cool thing to me when you have like a songwriter who has a great idea, 
and they write a song, but they don't have a platform to reach people or necessarily the delivery to reach people. You know, some songwriters are great songwriters, but either don't, I don't want to say don't have the talent, but maybe haven't worked on their craft as a performer or, uh, or just want to be a songwriter. Mm-hmm. They don't want to do it and they haven't built a platform. And you pair that with an artist who is expert, put all their time into becoming an expert at how do I deliver a song the most effective way possible to reach the most people possible. Um, those are great ways to put it, man. <laughs> and yeah. and when you when you pair those things up, I think that's kind of magical. And it's interesting because this is my first creative internship that I've been in. Everything else has been on the administrative side, trying to get over onto the creative side. Uh, watching, it's everything I could have hoped for in that sense. But the way you go about it's a little bit different, where you actually are trying to find artists a lot of times that have a platform and reach and put your songwriters in rooms with them to try and get them to mesh and and make something magical that can go support both of them making their dream happen yeah i love it do can you explain the processing or the process of publishing so like how does a song get to be a thought all the way to being on the radio. <laughs> and uh, I'll do you one more. Uh, all the way to number one. This will be a four-hour college lecture. No. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, To get to number one, realistically, the shortest path for that to happen is to get a writer of yours in a room writing with somebody who's in that artist's camp. So if you've got a writer who writes a really good style for an artist, you reach out and you find out what artist or what writers have written for that artist. Because they tend to artists build teams around them, right? They build a manager, they build songwriters right, they like. Right. The successful artists all are good at building a team around them. That's one big reason really talented people don't make it is they don't know how to build those relationships and put the right people around them. Mm. And so they have this camp, and so you want to get that writer writing cool songs with somebody in that camp that's the shortest path because now that guy has a direct input to the artist and says hey i've got another cool song for you that you're gonna like that gets cut and goes on to the artist goes on to a board under an artist that already has millions of people that listen to their music yeah that's the shortest point from point a to point b a longer path you might take is like you you take songs that already exist from your writers and you look at who's creating projects. So who's working on projects upcoming that might not have finished filling out those projects with songs yet. And, and you can take those songs, which is why the publishing relationships are so important. You have to be able to get in the building with those people to pitch those songs to them and be able to uh, convince them that that's a song they want on their album. And then they they can take that and record it. Either way, it is hard for a song to get traction without somebody who's on a major deal and is being pushed by their label. Because they have so much reach. Now, it's not impossible anymore. It used to be impossible. Right. It's not impossible anymore because we got all this indie stuff popping up online everywhere. If you can build the reach through an online audience... It's not impossible, but those are those are the easiest ways I've seen the most common ways that songs get on the boards from like where they start. Right. And I had a real talk. The guy that's 
I'm going to say mentoring me right now. His name's Anthony Smith. He wrote like uh, Tomorrow uh, at church and stuff like that. Uh, really good songwriter, wound up becoming a, moving from songwriting to publishing after he had a bunch of success in songwriting. So has a really good idea on both sides of the industry. Yeah. And I sat down with him. So I was like, what, how do you decide who to schedule for reps? Because we haven't really gone over that yet. What's, what's going on? And he's awesome. He always answers my questions to the best of his ability. But he was talking about the importance of intentionally putting people in rooms together. You don't just want to schedule rights between two good songwriters that have nothing in common and, and, and don't have any... Like, I can sign two of the best songwriters in the world down, and they can write as good a song as possible, but if neither one has any connections to anybody who's going to record it, then it's probably not going anywhere. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And so uh, and <clears throat> so the importance of, like, if you've got two great songwriters and neither one of them have connections, you might make it a three-way co-write with somebody who's not as good of a songwriter, but has the connections. And now you now all of a sudden you're creating something better that that person's going to like and take and show to who they're connected to and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's like, it's like a web. Everybody's got to be connected somewhere. Dude. The nice thing about Nashville though, which I'm sure you've noticed already is when you get out here and start getting into music industry, you're surprised at how few people really there are. Yeah. Like there's so many people in it, but like you see all the same people. You can tell who's trying, you see all the same people all the time. Yeah. Um, and so and so uh once you start building those connections they ramp up really fast i failed through college epically at building my my connections and everything but because i met went out on a whim at a songwriter's round and met sarah one day and we became good friends she's now been able to help accelerate because she introduced me to anthony who introduced me to rusty gaston over at sony and and all the going down the line of all these people you meet i and it's it's been a crazy ride over the last year or so because i finally feel like i'm i go places and i know know who people are at places a lot more and that was something over the course of the five years previous to that i didn't really feel like i had you know what who do you think down here is well, let me rephrase the question. <laughs> What's something from that side of the industry that surprised you, if anything? Which side? The creative, like the publishing the side. Publishing side? Something that surprised me. I I had an okay idea. Like MTSU prepared me pretty well getting into publishing. One of the things that surprised me was like how how it relates to recordings because publishing is actually very disconnected from the recording part of the industry. They work hand in hand, but the rights and the money is completely different pots. Right. Um, And so that was that was a little bit surprising to me at first, I guess. (laughs) As I've come out yeah. here, one thing I've learned at this internship is is how people look at. I want to say there's lots of people who work hard, but people are innately are looking for the easier path, right? Through things most of the time, if you can have an easier path, you're going to take it. And so things like, uh, 
synchronization stuff with commercials and stuff like that. Yeah. Something I've learned more recently that kind of surprised me is they don't want to take just every every song. Now that you you can convince them to take a song, but it has to be a mass that's written by multiple people. But it has to be the master, and what they're going to pay for is the recording of the master. So they only have to pay money to one person. Right. Yeah. 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 If they were to take a demo from a publishing company that's not a master, that one person owns, that isn't a recording that one person owns, then the uh, then they'd have to split up money and pay it to multiple areas, and they don't want to do that. So for synchronization stuff, it either needs to be a, a lot of the time, if you want to have a good chance at getting one of those, you either need to have a song that was 100% written by one writer, yeah, or you have to have had a, like, Somebody buys uh, the Usually by a record label, what a record label will do is they pay for the master and then they own the master. Yeah. And yeah. then they license out to their artists and stuff like that. Yeah. And so a lot of the times what they'll do, they'll look for those record label masters or stuff because that now I'm only paying one person in path of yeah. least resistance for no, that, that the synchronization sense. person. Not not like an overarching theme of something that surprised me, but just something kind of cool I learned recently that I was like, I hadn't really thought about that before. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the sync deal is really cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, sync, that's where that corporate money is. <laughs> you can get some good stuff. Yeah, and the sync, sync opportunities are really cool for your, for your, your writers. Because you can take something that was cut by a smaller artist that's never going to make a chart, maybe, and you can... Because that smaller artist cut it, and they have ownership of the master of it, now I can sell that song and make some money for my songwriter. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's a really good income stream that might be underutilized for some some people. I'm sure most of the publishing companies out here are good about it, but you know, the the, if somebody was probably, yeah. doing an independent publishing thing by themselves, might not think about to to do. It's tough, man, because there's so many things that you have to worry about. It's like the the not necessarily worry about sync deals, but man, it's just a whole different pocket. Yeah. You know? Just like, you know the Christian, uh, like the, uh, all your, <clears throat> all the markets that you can get, like, royalties from, mm-hmm. there's a Christian one. Yeah. And I can't remember what it's called, but they pay out super, super well. Much better than the others. I can't remember the name of it. Not just CMA, right? No, no, no. It's a, Man, <laughs> don't even don't even worry about it. But yeah. if you if you think about it later, yeah, that one's cool too. But sync deals are definitely where it's at. If yeah, you can get them. Oh uh, yeah, get them. Get a sync deal on like Netflix or something. Yeah, we'll play it out. I've got a friend who all he did was write Genius. I remember saying, yeah, uh, and so he. Uh, <clears throat> All his stuff sync because he writes the jingle, he records them himself, and then he sells the jingle to people like the o- 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 O'Reilly. Yeah, that's <laughs> that such a good one. Yeah, I mean, uh, dude, what a good gig. Yeah, he probably had to work pretty hard for that, or like connect pretty well. I guess. The the really yeah, it's it's cool for him. I think I talked to you a little bit this, but just because it's a good story, it's like people always. Even for me, it's like I try to do what I'm good at a lot of times because yeah. I actively know that I want to be good at what I necess- can't necessarily be good at all the time. Uh, but it's so sad to see some art. Like, he, he was so talented at jingles, but he was always disappointed that he never really wrote anything that took off as, like, a, what he considered a real song. And I'm like, the jingle stuff's awesome. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's weird. You you always want what you can't have. Yeah. You know? It's weird that, like, <clears throat> how many athletes wish they could be artists and artists wish they could be athletes? Yeah. Or, you know, how many jingle writers want to be real songwriters? <laughs> yeah. So, where, where do you want your next, like, progression to be? I love the people I'm working with right now. Yeah. Anthony and those guys over there have been so good to me and, and helping and me out and everything. And they, are you allowed uh, to say who you work for? Yeah, I work for Porchlight Music. It's on my yeah. uh, But the, uh, uh, Anthony and, and Freeman and those guys over there have been so good to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, prayers out. They can keep me on board. They're a smaller publishing company, so they don't get to keep everybody, obviously. It's not like Sony where you, you, know, you just do good on your internship. They get to keep you. But hopefully I've made myself valuable enough they feel like they can't let me go, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely the uh, goal of an internship. Uh, but uh, I'm, I am I would love to stay over there, man. I love working at a smaller publishing company. I know every single one of our writers. I've talked to them face-to-face. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been through our whole catalog. Like, I know it pretty much front to back, that kind of song, because it's only like 1,500 songs. Yeah. You listen to them all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I went through and back tagged all of them. So like I went through, it was, they went through a transition period in leadership. So they're changing things over to a new system. And so uh, this system we hadn't really had put tags in. So I went back and tagged stuff for like sync. Uh, Does it have a female artist? Because females a lot of times don't want to sing stuff that's even demoed by males. Necessarily, even if it's kind of like a gender neutral song. So stuff that's easier to pitch to females and mark female. Um, And, uh, uh, demo versus work tape, all that kind of stuff. I went through it, did all that, and so I was like, well, I'll go through here, might as well listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of hours, man. Yeah, I, I mean, it's good. I needed that. I was spending an internship anyway. So. Shit. What uh, is, uh, if you can't work for them, do you have somebody else in mind that you would like to? Uh, I've, I've been over at Curb a couple of times. They seem really cool. Uh, somebody a little bit smaller, but but still a pretty good size. Like Big Machines got their publishing stuff kind of up and running now a little bit. Uh, they're mostly a record label. They got a smaller publishing yeah. side. It's coming up a little bit. Uh, Big Yellow Dog would be awesome. Good people over there. Oh, I haven't heard them in a while. Like I, you know, you just hear names. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, not not like that. But yeah, I just yeah, I haven't you. heard their name floating around in, uh-huh. in a while. Yeah. Um, but I met a couple of people over there. They're pretty good people. Um. I mean, if the opportunities to go and work in creative at a big publishing company are there, I'll probably take it. <laughs> but yeah. or, but if I have the option, if I legitimately have the option to work at a smaller publishing company, something like what I'm doing now, I would love that. So you get to have your hands in more pot. It's more exciting for me to not just have one job that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I act. I actively, my day-to-day, I might be, one day we have some songs come in and I put them into the, our catalog. Or one day I get to come in and listen to a pitch meeting or participate in a pitch meeting. How, how do pitch meetings go? Can you like walk us through that? Um, so, and what it is. Uh, they can kind of vary. I haven't been in a lot of them. Uh, I know that they're, they, they vary quite a bit from meeting to meeting depending on who you're meeting and how well you know the person you're meeting and that kind of stuff. Uh, but the uh, the gist is it's just like you 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 take in a few songs that, that you think somebody that they have can use 
and y'all just kind of sit down and listen to music together <laughs> and, now, and talk it, about it. <laughs> is it like a rep or is it the actual artist? Like, it can vary. Um, makes sense, yeah. But you can, it could be a rep from a publishing company, another publishing company that has oh, really? people playing or, or that have artists that are doing stuff or yeah. uh, somebody from a record label. It could just be somebody from their camp. It could be a manager or somebody. Just anybody who has a connection to the person you're trying to get the music to so they can, it's just, lots of times it's in somebody to filter, you know, a little bit. But, that makes sense. But it's, like, I think a lot of people think pitch meetings are, like, a really big, stressful thing. And from my experience, so far, limited experience, albeit. Uh, but it's it's really not. It's kind of like, you know, you walk in, usually with somebody that you've met before. Yeah. And y'all like sit down and listen to some music and talk about what you think about it. <laughs> like, it's a lot less stressful than it sounds, you know? That sounds like a good day. <laughs> This is a good day. I love going down into the office. I've never loved going into an office so much in my life. Yeah. Listen to like all the new stuff artists have coming in. There's two writing rooms right next to us where you can hear them writing in there sometimes and that kind of stuff. It's office. It's awesome. That's so cool, awesome man. deal. It's nice to see you passionate about it. Yeah, I I love what if I could just keep getting paid for what I'm doing right now, pretty much exactly, but just like more of it all the time. I would. I'd, do that for the rest of my life. I love, I love what I'm doing right now. Do you do you work other, elsewhere? Uh, so I've had a couple of different jobs since yeah. since college to kind of make things meet. I've been in real estate a little bit. Uh, sold a couple of houses and that Down had here. me over for a little bit in Murfreesboro. Oh um, and uh, I've done a DoorDash, of course, yeah. as everyone should. If you if you ever need extra cash, it's so easy. It's so easy. Yeah, but I, I'm DoorDash is kind of like the main like extra income I have right now outside of our wife, my wife's, my wife and I's income, and so uh, but it like you go to Murfreesboro and you don't make very much per hour down there because it's smaller and it's less people like order stuff outside of like lots of times it won't even be active outside of like two hours at lunch and dinner time. I can see that. Um, yeah. But in Nashville. <laughs> It's always active in downtown Nashville. So I'll come three or four hours early down for one of my meetings. I'll DoorDash for three hours, you know, make 60 bucks. And then I, you know, go to my thing and maybe I'll go hit a couple more hours before I run over to the local or something like that yeah. to watch some music for the night. So it's flexibility. is nice on, <laughs> nice for that. That is nice, man. I had a guy, uh, shoot, what was his name? Matt, I think he he would always he would do Ubers or DoorDash or something in the morning, uh, and he wouldn't stop until he made two hundred dollars. If he made two hundred dollars, he's good for the day. If he wants to make more, but like that's a, I mean, you ring up some good cash. Yeah, uh, just it's doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's not. And, and if you're in a high population area like downtown Nashville, like you can, you can make eighteen to twenty dollars an hour. That's not too bad. Maybe more that's if you're true. really pushing it. Yeah, that's true. If you can get lucky with some tips, you know. <laughs> so, do you do you ever see yourself being involved? Sorry. Oh, good. With um, an artist, like a specific artist. Like, what, what do you mean involved? Well, I guess on the publishing side or like the administration side. Um, 
I could never see myself getting into like something where it's like man, you wind up in a management position. Yeah, I, I don't think I could do that job physically. <laughs> I'm, it's not you. I, I'm not built for that job. Yeah. Um, you don't wanna. I could. I I think I could go on the road and do something. I mean, yeah, uh, there's no kidding, but that's like. The easy part is like I bet I could go on vacation for a little bit. No, I mean, like, I mean, like, I, like I looked into doing like guitar tech stuff for a little while, but like going specifically and doing a job on the road, I think I could handle that. Yeah. Um. Um. But as far as like, managers are crazy, man. <laughs> They're and not not like in a bad way, but just like, I've never met a manager that isn't an absolute workaholic. They have to work so Dude, much. I was gonna say exactly, man, because and I, 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 I'll put my head down and work with the best of them, but at the end of the day, I like to go to sleep at two a.m. <laughs> and you never know when you're gonna get a call. You have to answer as a manager. It's kind of crazy, man. See, that's you know, I love, <coughs> I love being in a relationship. I love Lauren, but there's no real but. After yeah, that, but it's just. <laughs> It does take away from like that side. If I were to be single, mm-hmm. I could do two a.m., three a.m. stuff daily. Like you, yeah. you know, you're you're not on that schedule. I never done done it daily, but like two nights a week, I'll go down to Nashville yeah. a lot of times and stuff like that. Uh, my wife is very introverted, so luckily for me, she, she comes out sometimes, but not very often. Yeah. So it's kind of like you know, I can go out and. And do what I need to do and come home and go to sleep and stuff like that. And it doesn't bother her too much. That's good. Now she gets too long. Yeah. One of the things I love about my wife, one of the reasons I married her is she doesn't speak in code. Oh, like a lot of girls do. Yeah. She tells me what's up. So she's she's like, I haven't seen you all week. I need you to come come home tonight. Yeah. I'm like, you got a bed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's nice. It makes it easy. Yeah. Uh, that way I'm not having to try and figure it out on my own because... You know, guys, we're we're stupid about that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> yep, that's true, dude. It's um, well, if you find one of those crazy managers and they're looking for an artist, I'm looking for a crazy manager because mm-hmm. I, you know, we're all doing trying to do the thing. a couple of crazy people over there with that team Sarah's putting together for her promotion stuff. If you haven't talked to her about that yet, I tried. Yeah, uh, I can't. I don't remember. know if she's taking on any more artists right now. Yeah. but I've been I've been trying to tell it like she's uh. We've sat down a couple of times. I'm actually going to, at some point, we were going to set up a meeting for me to sit down with a business partner, too. Because I just like, I like brainstorm meetings. Yeah. And, and just throwing my ideas out there. It's kind of like songwriting, right? You just sit down and you, yeah. you throw out ideas until something sticks. Sarah's um, so, cool. But she's, she's a hard worker, too. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. She, she works like crazy. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've been trying to convince her because she's, uh, she's really picky about the people she brings in to actually help with her business. Oh, which sure. makes sense. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh absolutely makes sense. Um but trying to give her little nudges towards expanding cuz she's like capped out right now with the with the people she's got and the artists she's got. It's like yeah. you know, I I feel like she if she starts bringing on more people, she finds more people she trusts to fit into roles and stuff like that. Uh I I think she's going to blow up, man. I think that company's going to go nuts. Yeah. Some I have no doubt. She like she's a really good person and she works super super because yeah. one of the things we were talking about was like with the promotion stuff getting somebody who like maybe maybe not like in-house but like a partnership with somebody who makes demos really good demos 
simple demos. Somebody who does simple well is kind of one of the things we yeah. talked about. Yeah, something um, that's clean. It's clean, yeah. not overly complicated, not trying yeah. to be something it's not. Just brings in the artist and yeah, records yeah, yeah. the song as it's supposed to be. Exactly. Uh, which is surprisingly hard to find. <laughs> it is, because um, everybody wants to do Everybody wants to put their own thing on it, but it's, yeah. it's, I think simple is better sometimes. To talk about bringing in somebody that and partnering with them to where you can get discounted demos for your artists, but then they're also getting larger volume of work, of, of work because you're yeah. sending all your artists through them. Uh, but different business, like, that's one of the things we talked about last time when I was like, when she started saying like we should have a brainstorm meeting and stuff like that. But no, that's sweet. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I. So the. So, so Sarah, Sarah could be a manager if she wanted to be. <laughs> she definitely could. Man, she makes the she makes good decisions. Which I mean, that's not far from what she does now. She does promotion of yeah of stuff, but it's not exactly management. She doesn't set up like live performances for people, as far as I know. It's mostly just. You know, figuring out how to get songs heard a little bit, yeah. and get their faces out there, put a face with a song, that kind of thing. Yeah, not all managers are. You know, they're really just a connection hub. You yeah. want somebody with those connections to help you. And that yeah, that's the that's that's one thing I couldn't I couldn't do with it that I respect. So they're like they make decisions, but they have to know when to make decisions. They have to communicate a lot of stuff back and forth, and that's one of the reasons they always have to be available. You know, is because. Yeah. Yeah, when you, yeah, sometimes no. you get a message and they're like, hey, you got to take care of it. That's the part I couldn't do. No, that's true. Being <laughs> but, available. And, and like, I'd be in the middle of the night, I'm like, I'm not calling and waking someone up to try and figure this out. I'm <laughs> I'm going to just make a decision myself or something like that. It'd go horribly wrong. There, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it, and a lot of people don't know, it must be weird being a spouse on like <clears throat> the entertainment side, <clears throat> you know, like even in sports. In sports or any type of entertainment business, man, your job you're really a commission salesman. So yeah. you get to, if you get a show, you get money. So you want as many shows and as high as dollar as you can. And balancing that between keeping your artist healthy and, and happy yeah. and all that kind of stuff, it's it's what mad respect for those those people that do that. I know, across the board, it, it for sure just takes a, a lot of people. I need, to, I need to meet more managers. I don't have a lot of managers that I know, honestly. But uh, they're they're hard. If you don't have something important to say to them that they need, it's hard to get a hold of them. They're so busy with yeah. all their other other stuff. So yeah. that's true. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I don't. I need. I don't know what I need. I keep telling myself. You I need need, to find like, what do you? What do you look? You say you need a manager. What do you need the manager for? What do you want them to do? Uh, help facilitate those connections for success. Connections for success for like recordings or like live performances. Live performances. So you want a you want a booking agent. Yeah, that works too. So that'd be a lot easier to find. Is it? I don't know. Manager. I've been asking around and like now yeah. not on the major scale because I you know I yeah. I know we don't have anything for WME or anything. Yeah, like that. I got you, but uh. I mean, if you're willing to take a shot on somebody and just give them a commission, start talking to Belmont students. Start talking to start talking to. Uh, I mean, are you wanting to perform in that in Nashville no. or like around? Oh, okay, yeah. so like if you can find some out of state Nashville student at MTSU or Belmont that wants to be a manager at some point, yeah, you'd be like, hey, I need gigs, and see if they can facilitate gigs and give them a cut. You know. Well, yeah, take absolutely. A shot on some you, guys, you're always getting a cut. 
like yeah know, yeah well i'm just i'm just saying but like if you're looking for somebody to do that kind of stuff come up with somebody it's not like it's it's a lot harder to find somebody that's already in the industry and all those people are going to phase out eventually yeah that's yeah, some yeah. uh city Mae. i had a she's the marketing director over at sony uh ceo of marketing over at sony and uh got really lucky to get a meeting with her. I happened to work construction for a guy that remodeled her bathroom. Oh, <laughs> he introduced oh, me dude. to her. <laughs> Super luckiest meeting of my life. It was an awesome meeting, though, because she sat down with me for a whole lunch and everything. Yeah. Super nice lady. Uh, but one of the things she's, she emphasized to me is don't look to get in with people that are already in. They're going to be, by the time you get in with them, they're going to be on their way out. Music mm. industry works fast. It's that's it, a good idea. Yeah, that's good. What you need to do is you need to try and build something with people your age that are coming up, coming up like like I was doing with like I've been doing with Sarah. Yeah. Like you know, you and I saw already together. But you find those got people that are coming out of college and they want to make a name for themselves and they're hungry. And you you go to them and you you show a little faith in them, and then you know. Things change in music industry. If it doesn't work, you move on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it, like it, it might be a little dramatic, you know, if you have to fire somebody or something. But that happens all the time in the music industry. Nobody works at one company for their entire career in the music industry. Nobody. Never met someone. Yeah. I met a certain single person. I know a lady that used to work. I believe it's she worked at Sony or Warner, one of the majors, doing creative publishing in in New York. Something happened, she had to move out here. Um now she's having to work like administrative stuff. Or she when she first came out here, sorry, she was having to work administrative stuff cuz she wasn't she didn't have connections, but yeah. she was too experienced to work entry level in the creative stuff. And so uh she was kind of like in a weird place, had to work in the administrative stuff and then she, you know, she being experienced and having connections and stuff like that in New York, knowing how to build connections, being an expert at building connections, she's now starting her own publishing company and stuff like that and having some some cool success with it. Oh, that's um, um, But just kind of her first experience when she gets in here kind of shows it, she was a very successful creative music publisher in a different city that didn't have connections to here. And it was impossible for her to just jump in somewhere. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like, what hope do I have to just jump in with somebody? I have to come up with. Is somebody's just got to have faith in me, which is rare, or you just got to build trust with the people that are coming up around you. And you come up with those people, you build something with those people, and then when it's your time, you guys take over. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's that. If you're looking for somebody to book something, back to just to kind of bring it full circle, I'd look at those people just out of college who aren't really representing people yet. Try to find somebody that's interested to it in it. Talk to some of those people uh, and ask around, see if anybody's interested in trying it. And, and, and yeah. maybe they'll do a good job for you. And if they don't, you move on and find somebody else who will do a good job for you. But it, somebody doing a bad job for you is not really any worse at this point than nobody doing it for you. So. Yeah. <laughs> worst case scenario, they're going to be hopefully. Worst case scenario, I guess they do nothing. Second worst case scenario, they they can't sell you, but they're they're getting your name out in front of people, and then when you make those calls, it's easier next time. Yeah. Very very true. What do you want to? 
do as like a publisher or what do you want to do as a publishing exec just get music in front of people in front of artists that's ultimately the goal kind of like kind of like what i was talking about earlier where i like I, my favorite thing to do is that pairing yeah and getting people in the right rooms together because i believe personally when you when you get good at that everything else kind of can take care of itself yeah um or, or will take care of these of itself as you facilitate it um but really really what i want to do is be on the creative side because i the people that speak the most to me is those songwriters who who are great songwriters and have all the talent in the world but either don't want to perform or don't know how to perform because it's a waste when there's something great out there and somebody can't hear it. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like you've got, you could have the best song in the world and if nobody ever hears it, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, And so that's, I want to get music heard in the sense that I want to take something great at some point. Like if I could only do it once in my career, that'd be awesome is take something great that wouldn't have otherwise have been heard without my help and get it heard. Yeah, that's cool, man. Hey, do you go to Costco or Sam's or any? Sam's Club, because that's all we had in Missouri, and I didn't, uh, I didn't, don't know Costco. I already had a Sam's Club membership coming out here, so I've never been to, I've actually never been in a Costco. I think you might like it better. Because <laughs> I only had Sam's. Yeah. So moved down here. It's actually yesterday. Uh, we were going to a buddy's house, and we stopped at Sam's to get des- uh, dessert, okay. and their scanners were down. We were in uh, Murfreesboro, and their scanners were down. And so Lauren goes, I'll just go get a Costco. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we don't have a membership. She's like, I'll just go get one. That place is cool. And their steak, I don't know the difference. I always assume they're kind of the same. You would think so. But, like, their prices are, and, and items are different. Like, their steaks are cheaper somehow. I, like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I like that. I like steak. Dude, it's it's wild. I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it was so Sam's busy. Sam's Club and Costco's are more full in Missouri because they have alcohols. Do they really? Yeah. They don't have them here? No, so, like, there's they don't sell liquor okay. here. They sell, like, wine uh, at both okay. places, I believe. But they don't sell, sell the liquor here. Yeah. But there's... They have a really good spice rum that's like the Sam's Club brand and the Costco brand. The Costco yeah. one's a little bit better because I've had friends that yeah. brought it. I have it at my house now because my parents brought me some. Sam's Club's members but, mark, isn't it? Uh-huh. Is it Sam's Club members mark? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the uh, it, it, it of course comes in a Sam's Club slash Costco sized bottle. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> like giant? Giant. Like maybe. Yeah. Maybe a liter and a half, two liters. <laughs> Oh, it's huge, um, but it's really, really good spiced rum. Uh, my parents were really fond of it, so I, I tried to get it out here for the longest, and yeah. it took me a little while to realize we must have different alcohol laws in Tennessee oh, that don't allow them to sell hard liquor at like grocery stores and stuff. Because we've yeah. got a grocery store in Missouri called High V that just has like a a liquor store attached to it. Oh, you just walk right in. You just walk right in. It's mm-hmm. like attached like a pharmacy is on Walmart. Yeah, yeah. Um, same, same for back. Well, I guess not the same here. But they're at least they're probably in the same shopping center, like a liquor store and that. Yeah, it is weird, isn't it? You know, you don't see uh bulk wine 
like a bulk wine bottle. Wine is always like in the same bottle. Yeah. I wonder why. I wonder if there's issues with like putting wine in bigger bottles where it like messes with it. No. Or if it's just, just. It's probably just convenient because I think you got to refrigerate wine, don't you? I don't really know. You have to. I know you have to keep it cool, but like people have wine cellars and stuff. I don't think yeah. you have to refrigerate it before you. I guess. Maybe it's after you uncork it, you have to refrigerate it. Yeah. So then it's like, well, you're not going to make it through this whole bottle if you... Right. Unlike a big thing of bur- bourbon or vodka or something like, you can just stick it somewhere. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Not more sugar in wine. I don't... There's just something wrong about a huge bottle of wine, too. I wonder how you carry it, you know? Like, like a baby. Yeah. Yeah, big bottle of wine. Maybe they make wine backpacks and you just have a straw. Do you make, like wine? make really thin, like like you know the things, the bags, the gift bags for wine. Yeah. Make a backpack specifically for wine, like just that. Hold it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like wine? I like wine pretty well. Uh, I struggle because I don't really like dry wine. Yeah. Uh, it's dry, and I don't understand dry liquid. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the uh, I like sweet wines, like strawberry wine and stuff. But I can't have very much of it. Specifically, sweet red wines can't have very much of it, or else I get a terrible headache. Oh, probably all sugar. All the man. sugar, yeah. All the sugar, yeah, dude. All right, John, Kyle. What does living the dream mean to you? What does living the dream mean to me? My dream, for as long as I can remember, and I've said this since I was very, very young, I don't even remember when I started saying it, but all I've ever wanted from my life is to be able to live comfortably doing something I love. And... (laughs) The closer I get to the possibility of that happening, then the more excited I get about it, you know? The harder I want to work to make it happen. But, that, I mean, that's really all I've ever wanted for my life is to be able to, is to go to a job that I enjoy every day and to live comfortably to it. I've never felt a need to be a millionaire or a superstar or the number one person at anything, really. <laughs> I... I just want to be comfortable in my life while also not hating my job. So many people I feel like get stuck doing something they hate for the sake of money or, uh, yeah. you know, something like that. And I've seen that through so many people. And it feels like it eats up your life. You spend so much of your life working. So much of your life is spent working. And it just always seemed kind of pointless to me if you can't enjoy the work you're doing. I'm not a work. I wouldn't call myself a workaholic, but when I put my head down and get to work on something, I love the feeling of completing a task or doing something like that. And there's no reason every day of your life shouldn't be going after something you love and doing something you're proud of and making making a difference in your own life that way. What does comfortable for you? What, what does that mean for you? 
uncomfortable. <laughs> it means, and and this is one of the areas where I'm really blessed. I want to preface this by saying that because of the house situation we talked about earlier in the podcast that makes everything easier, everything cheaper, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but comfortably to me, some people when they say they don't have to worry about money, it's like, oh, I can just buy whatever I want. No, I, that's not what it means to me. But but to say that I don't have to think about money, it's that I can live my average life without having to worry about money constantly being an issue or without having to worry about like, you know, am I going to be able to afford food for the rest of the week? To have your basic, your most basic needs, which to me is obviously nutrition and food, uh, sleep, family, and then uh, entertainment, I would consider like some form of entertainment. It doesn't have to be expensive entertainment. Mm. But some form of entertainment, some type of leisure. But if you got the finances to cover that stuff, then that's comfortable to me. Yeah, that's well said. Do you have any highs and lows from being in Nashville? Um, that's some really low lows. I'm, I'm, I would say I'm on high right now. I've had some opportunities to play some cool places that that in the past that could be considered a high um, to play to play like i got to play at uh the germantown festival a couple of years ago that was oh, really, yeah, really yeah. fun a lot of people coming by and that what, kind of stuff what'd you play uh, fiddle or i played fiddle and sang played my guitar awesome all that all that good stuff um i added a little patriotic section one of my favorite parts of that was i, I always like to do a little patriotic section at the end because I I mean I know we're not perfect over here in America or anything, but I, I there's no way I'd be having the opportunities to do the things I'm I'm doing in a different country. There's yeah. a, in a lot of different countries, maybe yeah. some, but not not most. That's true. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm still proud of there. I love to do a little patriotic section, and and thank my veterans and all that that good stuff, uh, for their sacrifices. And I had a veteran come up to me at that show, and he gave me he actually gave me a fifty dollar bill. And was crying and told me thank you for doing a patriotic section. Oh, it was wow. kind of this was like really in the midst of like the middle of Trump's term and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of lot of turmoil, a yeah. uh, lot of hostility towards veterans and that kind of stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, at that time, and it, he was kind of emotional about it, and that was a really high high for me because it just felt like I'd done something good that made a difference to oh, somebody, man. you know. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, but my lowest points are like right when I moved out here. Like I said, I. I I think I mentioned briefly, but I fucked it up when I first moved up here and started drinking and having issues with my family and all that, which is mostly patched up now. Thank, thank God. But uh, I, I went through some low periods where I was drinking, so I was already fighting with my family, right? So you don't have that support system as much as you are were used to. And wrestling is a big part of my life, and I dislocate my shoulder, and that gets ripped away. By way of that, I can't play guitar or violin anymore for a long period of time. I'm not yet into songwriting. I I haven't, and I really was lost. I didn't know what know what I wanted to do in music business at that point. When I came out here, I just knew I wanted to be involved in music business. I wasn't set on music publishing yet then. Um, I just knew I wanted to do something with it. 
And, and so I, I, I had no idea what direction I wanted to go with my career. And it was just like kind of, kind of sitting in a void, you know, it was, it didn't really have an idea of where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do or anything I could do when I wanted to do something. Most of the time I couldn't do it because of my shoulder, you know, I, I was playing intramural sports and all that kind of stuff in my free time or playing music in my free time and couldn't do any of that. And, uh, that was the hardest time I've had since I've been out here. I got really, really depressed with that. Uh, sunk into playing way too many video games. All, <laughs> all that kind of stuff, which, believe it or not, does not help with depression. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I just... That that, that was the, the lowest point I've had since I've been out here, just because I can, I can make do with bad situations when I'm trying to get somewhere. But a feeling of hopelessness when you have no idea where you want to go or what step you need to take next or what to do it is so, it, I, I, it might not be hard for everybody, but it was so hard for me to just get the motivation to try and do something to, to see what would happen. Dig out of that hole. Dig out of yeah. that hole. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so that, and it's crazy how much better since I got I, I finally got it back out of my shell and, and started just going out and talking to people even though if I didn't know exactly what I needed to do. Uh how much how much better things got so quickly and I wish I would have forced myself to do it sooner. But it's it's just one of those things, man, you know, where it's it wasn't that easy for me at the time. Yeah. It never is. It's always good to have people in your corner that you can rely on. Yeah. Yeah, Nashville's a weird place. I mean, it's it's a unique place, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can have these high highs and really high highs, and then the next day you can be yeah. right back low. Well, and a big part of that for me, like, ever since I've started kind of getting back on that roller coaster, right? You're going up, you're going down. Oh, fall over, falling over. Uh, <laughs> you're going up, you're going down, you're going all over the place. It's like I'm, I... I'm a pretty positive mindset guy, you know. Like, oh well, this is shit. It'll come back around, you know. That's kind of kind of personality. But when I came out here and I had no idea what I wanted to do, and then all that stuff happens, I had friends, but I didn't have. I I I just moved away from all my friends and family. You know, I didn't have any super close friends yet. Uh, things started turning around for me as soon as I met. What is now my best friend? Yeah, uh, those things start turning around for you and, and and getting better, and you start going out and doing stuff. But I didn't have that person to drag me out of it. Then I had some acquaintances or friends that that cared enough to check on me every once in a while. But it wasn't like, a, hey, what can we do for you? It's just like, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. You good? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't do much. Uh, yeah. I, I not that I don't appreciate those people reaching out by any means but you know i'm trying to say yeah you want somebody in the trenches with you and it's uh so i i hadn't had a high out here yet at that point in time this was like right after christmas break my freshman year i've been out here less than five months four months whatever i don't know how long the semester is just right at the beginning of the second semester out here. And so, like, I think if I would have had the injury, like, my junior year, 
college or something like that, I think it would have been a lot different story for where I was at. It was just unfortunate timing and all that kind of stuff, you know? Unfortunate or fortunate, you know? Yeah. The way you look at it. <coughs> Probably would have... You know. I think I wouldn't have been in a slump for nearly the... I, I was in a slump for a good two and a half years or so. Um, as far as, like, not making any progress towards really anything. And I don't think I'd have been in a slump for that long if I'd have been in a better mental state with my family and had that support system. And I don't want to sound like they supported me. They still loved me, but they were very unhappy with what I was doing at the time. And so it was like, they don't want to, Oh, they don't want to give you the same level of support and try to try to reward that. If it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but they've never like straight up, like not let me drown or anything. But, um, the parents, yeah, you know? the parents, they got to do what they got to do, try and get you back on track. Um, and, but I think if I'd have, I'd have been out here and I had a support system of friends out here that were, I was a little bit closer to, or, or, you know, I had a couple of years of wrestling under my belt and I was, I, I had kind of done what I wanted to set out to do with that. It hadn't, uh, I was in a position my freshman year where I, I needed to beat one more person I hadn't beat yet that year to get being an All-American. Oh, that would have been cool. Which would have been a really cool milestone for me. Yeah. So if I'd have gotten that, or if I'd have had a shot at it at least, I think that would have made a difference in how I felt about how I had to leave that. And just some different things like that. I think I think if I had it a little bit later, it, it just a lot of things, it, it wouldn't have been quite as detrimental as it had been at, at the time it was. But I, I know, it all wound up okay, so it's, it's <laughs> pretty but, bad. Yeah. I mean, things happen, things happen for a reason when they happen, you know? Yeah. You, you could easily say, yeah, you that might be true, where, like, maybe you're better off. Maybe, maybe you're maybe you're not. Maybe, maybe you're, you're so real. involved in something else that if you got hurt later on, you mm-hmm. miss everything that you kind of went through now. You'd rather go through that dark period in college yeah. than, like, outside, about to leave college, because then you're just, like, in a slump right away. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Yeah, and things happen <laughs> for a reason, dude. Yeah, for sure. Or little lessons are supposed to learn. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I'm. Like I said, I'm so grateful for where I am now and enjoying what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm hoping it continues after this. We wrap up in December because mm-hmm. I, I, I. Is that when it stops? That's when my internship's over yeah. at the end of this semester. So. Well, dude, we'll we'll check back. After your internship, and see what, see what happens. Sounds good. I think, from what I've heard, they really like me over there, and so I think at the very least, I can I can get some help and point it in the right direction. Yeah. You know, yeah. What I mean, if they can't keep me, I think they'll try and get me a little family place, so. action going on. Yeah, that's cool. All right, man. Well, Jonathan Kyle, do you want to say your last name? Yeah, sure. Jonathan Kyle Stickler. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, living the dream, man. Yeah, no it's, problem. Uh, it's it was a, a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to write together. Siri, stop listening. <laughs> stop listening. Siri. Hey, Siri. Stop listening. <laughs> now I'm scared. I don't like that. <laughs> All right. Scared. Have a good one. Love you. Bye. <laughs>